Welcome to Super Connected. With me, Tim Arnold, and my special guests. We invite you to join us in an intimate and honest exploration into the theme of connection. What it means to be connected to each other, what it means to be connected to ourselves, and what it means to connect in an ever-changing world. Named one of the world's 10 most influential intellectuals by MIT, Douglas Rushkoff is an author and documentarian who studies human autonomy in a digital age. And that's really at the heart of what this show is all about, um, trying to learn about. And it's what I want to learn about by having a chat with some of the people who have inspired me to think differently about the world. And Douglas is hugely influential to me in that respect. I watched him on a TED Talk about three years ago and began writing my next album as soon as the TED Talk finished. So this is a real treat for me to be able to return to the source of inspiration and talk in real time with the man who created Team Human. I'm in London and uh, he's in New York. If technology is upholding its side of the bargain, then we are now super connected. Douglas, thanks so much for joining me on the show. How the devil are you? Uh, I'm all right. Thanks for having me in this strange moment of human history. It is a strange moment. Uh, Contextualising, we're both sort of on, on red alert because of coronavirus at the moment. How, how, is, how does that all feel in New York at the moment? Oh, it's pretty desperate. I mean, partly because we we've got um, well, we've got kind of a, a worse uh, public health infrastructure than most, you know, mm -hmm. so-called developed nations. So, you know, what what we're finding out is, you know, when you do have, you know, corporations gut your your healthcare system, and and do everything with sort of maximum efficiency to the point where you know, there's only, you know, a, a thin bandwidth of beds and services available for people. Yeah. Um, you know, we're looking at, at countries like, you know, Italy and saying, oh, gosh, if only we had a healthcare system as good as theirs, then, you know, only four or five percent of our population <laughs> would die. Um, you know, it's like... Uh, it's it's kind of funny or sad, but uh, I don't know. It's a, it's a, the interesting thing about this moment is by the time uh, you know people are listening to this uh, podcast or when they're re-listening to it, you know, six months or a year from now, yeah. they'll be saying, "Oh, look at that! That's when that's before." You know, they're, they're talking before this thing happened. And you know, look how okay they are. They don't really know, do they? <laughs> So. Yeah, it's it's um, it's an interesting one, isn't it? I mean, in your work, which it revolves so much to do with the connections between the digital age and what we are organically as human beings, did you foresee something like uh, coronavirus? Well, yeah. I mean, what what I guess any of us who've been watching you know understand that we've been uh, becoming increasingly brittle as a society you know yes. less and less resilient that 
many of the the painstakingly you know evolved mechanisms that we have for social cohesion um, yeah. have been undermined you know quite intentionally either by the market or by technologies that we've developed to keep people in a in a light panic state all the time mm-hmm. you know if people people are in a panic state they're more likely to buy things they're more easy to manipulate online it's easier to get them to click on things but a, a light panic state when, is not a good sort of background no <laughs> it's not when a you good s- baseline <laughs> <laughs> when you say panic state it makes me think of naomi klein's the shock doctrine right and that whole culture that it still seems that um, a lot of people do not know what obviously you know (laughs) about the shock doctrine and I know because I was lucky enough to read it Um, it's one of the things that uh, that frustrates me I suppose because I feel passionate about the kind of work that somebody like Naomi Klein does the kind of work that you do and I have that feeling of I don't know uh, artists, singer-songwriters and, and bands in the 60s and the 70s were taking things they heard from writers and and putting it in music, you know, because it would it would reach people. Um, and now you kind of think that's not necessary because we have all these platforms that reach people, but there still seem to be uh, a larger amount of people who don't know enough <laughs> the kind well, of stuff that, that you're talking about. It's also, you know... Uh, most even someone like me, even if I write, you know, a thousand word essay on mm. Medium or somewhere, uh, my ideas mainly reach people when someone tweets a line, you know, from something I've written. And uh, so we end up with these really kind of decontextualized memes flying back and forth. And the great reason, you know, to have artists and musicians, uh, you know, writing songs and creating work around these ideas is with art, um, it's impossible to to decontextualize the content, right? The content, the ideas end up married to the work. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that's essential right now. If, if these ideas are going to get, you know, to human beings in a, in a usable, organic form. Yeah. It's 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 lovely to hear you say that. Um, I I I I have hope that more people in the music industry would say things like that. <laughs> <laughs> but then perhaps music industry isn't the best platform for music or or, or, or art anyway now. No, sure, the music industry is in the same panic yeah. as everybody else. I mean, and it's interesting. And even the word industry. I mean, that's the thing that's, that's the going away. Yeah. You know, we're we're moving from an industrial age into something else. And whenever we're looking for industry to solve a problem, um, we end up back in the same problematic space. It certainly feels like it, um, we're all in a, a great period of transition. Um, is that something that, that, that you consciously think about every day of your life because i know with team human your podcast your blog the writing the public engagements uh it's it's full on it is your life am i right in saying that yeah i mean we're we're undergoing the biggest transition in human civilization since really since the invention of text you know we are going to be operating not just our society but we're operating 
our our minds, our consciousness, and our souls in a digital media environment. So we're really transitioning from you know the television media environment to a digital one, and they're they're fundamentally different. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and the brain operates differently. the The child who's raised in a digital medium, you know, thinks and acts differently. And you know, many of the things. You know, and it's hard for people like us who maybe were raised on analog music and continuous sound and all Mm. to think about, you know, what is it for a child to be raised listening to MP3s, to be listening to music where there's actually more silence than there is sound. (laughs) You know, (laughs) there's that's there is. You know, I mean, you however many however much you sample, there's more blank space. So it's like living in rooms with only fluorescent lighting that's just flickering all the time. Now, for you and me, we could say that's just worse, right? Because for certainly for our nervous systems that were raised in in something closer to biological analog uh, 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 sounds and sights, it's definitely worse. We get decalibrated. Yeah, you know. And I'm interested to see what is a human being that has been calibrated to digital, and and what will they what will they be like, and will they be able to function, and what's going to happen, and especially when they're calibrating themselves to digital technology that has been specifically consciously engineered to create panic states, to prevent them mm. from thinking or, or uh, expressing their autonomy. Yeah, I mean, just staying with the music and, and sound um, side of um, the, the evolution that, that, that we've seen, probably in the last 20 years, more than at any other time, um, it, it, sort of, does it feel like to you that, that there's been a war between sound and image? I mean, obviously, as a musician, sound is, you know, that's my God, you know, what the, the, the sound of things. But uh, if you look closely at the social media platforms that we use to communicate with each other, uh, it's very rare to find a way to tweet or post a sound unless it has an image or a video that goes with it. Yeah, well, I mean, some of that's, some of that's uh, just how the platforms were mm. were developed. But yeah, I mean, computers are a visual medium. They're screens. I mean, people for most of the time were sitting in silence looking at pictures. Mm. You know, and and it is different. I mean, that uh, that transition sort of happened when we moved from radio to television. And we moved from that sort of hot emotional medium. Part of a longer of, of, evolution. Yeah, mm. of radio and sound to the cool medium of TV where where we became more visual. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I agree. Certainly, uh, music and everything, it's all seems to be so organized uh, uh, visually. I'll be interested to see as we transition from screens to you know siri and alexa and all those things and i'm sorry if i just activated anybody's uh, (laughs) uh, listening device that happens Um, with my mum whenever i'm on the phone to her and i mention the name (laughs) alexa (laughs) (laughs) she's more used to alexa monitor now um yeah they're all going off um but but you know so that could that could change things in some ways but but yeah I agree for the for the most part we've moved into uh, uh, we're much more biased mm-hmm. towards 
uh, visual right now. And that has different, you know, that has different social effects. Yeah. And I, I, I'm aware that you you are somebody that's been, you know, interested in consciousness exploration uh, in your life. And it's something that you've written about. And um, in terms of sound, it ha- obviously the idea of closing our eyes, not having a visual and hearing and and finding what journeys that can take us on whether it's music or just sound is something still I, f- I find so unexplored digitally in uh, yes and no i mean yeah I, tell I, me because I, I i this is i yeah, mean there are I mean, there are people i mean certainly we we as as music sorts of people or or people who think about media and the body i mean we understand that uh, uh sound, you know, resonates in a whole body the way that sight doesn't. You know, that sight, for the most part, certainly uh, uh, recorded, you know, visual imagery and all, um, it, it, it stays kind of outside your body. It, mm. it may be, uh, you know, if it's really bright, you know, you may kind of feel it in the back of your optic nerve or something. But it's not like music. I mean, well, sure, music and ear pods in your ears is is you know that's just something you know or or an mp3 is a you know nice uh, uh, you know whatever it's a metaphor it's a a symbol system imitating sound or convincing your ears that you're listening to music Mm. but real music affects your body it's it's moving the air and the space you have you know there's there's cells in your bones that are designed to to hear uh, vibration and yeah. to be able to tell, you know, when there's an animal behind a tree that's going to jump out at you, or you know, yeah. th- that's how this you is know the stuff when things are attached to the limbic kind of memory, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. So it's it's in your it sound is in your body. Sound is so much more intimate. It's it's you know when you're even if you're make a recording and it's playing through somebody's old JBL speakers and they're in the room, your music is moving their body. It's mm. not just because they're dancing. It's it's moving the 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 it's impact impacting them on a, on a physical on a physical level so it's um it's much more kind of organismic yeah. uh in its in its impact and you know text isn't that way and uh, visual things um tend to elicit much more of a critical response you're looking at something and evaluating it rather than being enveloped by it so yeah. sound is so um intimate that's why i do a podcast and not a vlog you know once people are looking they're looking at me that's why i'm doing a radio show and not a vlog right exactly not just because we're ugly which maybe we are um you know and 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 that's such a job i just think if you're only ugly to ourselves but and to some others i guess if you sign up to listen to something though and and then it 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 means that you you know you have an appreciation of the medium of of just closing your eyes and, and letting stuff unfold into your imagination via your ears i think that's right or you sit and do the dishes and clean the house while it's coming through the speakers but it's much more like we're in their space with them as opposed to being in the tube you know in the corner over there you know when you're it's really it's really interesting if you just turn the picture off on your television set while you're listening to the news or something it's very different because now it's it's spatial rather than uh, uh, you know locked yeah. away it's funny um, in other conversations I've had about on the same subject um, uh, and not just about music but about everything um, that's coming through 
um, technical devices, uh, it's always talked about how little space there is. You've mentioned the words, the sound and the space, um, like a half a dozen times since we've been talking. And uh, uh, and is it is it across the board that part of the digital revolution is um, it's so oversaturated with stuff that the space is the bit that we are missing? Yeah, I mean, you know, well, what happened? To make a really long story short, mm. is you know Western colonial empires ran out of physical territory to take over. We ran out of countries and 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 little you know brown people to enslave. You know they started mm. pushing back. So in order for these Western economies to expand, they needed to find new territory, and the territory they found was human attention was us. So we're colonizing human time. I wrote a whole book about it called Present Shock, you know, about yeah. the attack attack yeah. on on our temporal reality. But yeah, so they use every minute of our day to keep us engaged in the market in one way or another. You know, even if we don't have any more money, at least we're engaged giving our data to a market researcher who well, can then well, that is the monetize that. That is the monetization, isn't it? Is the data. I mean Yeah, I'm, short term anyway. I, yeah. I'm might know the answer to some of the questions because I'm very familiar with your work, but I'm going to ask them anyway because some people listening might not be, and I, I really want them to hear it from the horse's mouth. Um, this obviously can't go on forever. This kind of crazy capitalist drive for people's data and control of our lives and our attention and our eyeballs to the, you know, um, where do you think this goes? What's interesting, it was going to break in one of two ways. You know, either um, either the data itself becomes worthless. You know, there's, there's, as people run out of money and all they've got to give is data, their data's not worth anything because why do you want a poor person's data? You know, what are you really going to get out of it? Maybe their vote? If that, you know, but you could suppress their vote anyway. I mean, it, yeah. it doesn't really, it's, or just use propaganda and, and keep them stupid. So what's the point of having data if people don't have money? You know, the, the, the total uh, advertising and marketing uh, budgets of all the advertising agencies and all the market research firms combined mm. has never reached more than about 3 or 4% of GDP. And that's throughout history. It stays somewhere between two and 4% back and forth yeah. since the beginning of marketing in the 1300s. That's just what it is. And so now we're looking at trying to, trying to sustain like the whole NASDAQ stock exchange and Google and Facebook and Amazon, everybody, you know, we're not Amazon so much, but Facebook and Twitter and all these giant firms, which don't make money except for their data and think, well, wait a minute, how is data going to be worth 20, 30, 40% of the global economy? It, it can't. Okay. So I feel like we're in a, in a data bubble that will break of its own accord. Mm. But then from the other side, it could break too, which is the only reason we have to grow the economy and have these companies grow exponentially is to feed this global banking system yeah. that's been really running the economy for the last four or 500 years. We might be seeing the end of that, this rise of nationalism, this uh, uh, do you think you know, it's this, their last? Is it is it a last hurrah for for the kind of groups uh, of people 
who believe in in those um, ideologies? Is that what it is? Because they kind of know it's coming to an end, so the grip is getting tighter. Yeah, I mean, I don't even know if we if they got their last hurrah. I mean, I think their last hurrah would have been, you know, Hillary Clinton, you know, winning and you know neoliberalism, mm. uh, this sort of global cooperative neoliberalism to continue. But that was all part of the television era, which was all about one big globe and seeing the Earth from space yeah. and the World Trade Organization and all, and that. Um, that's given way to something else, not the right thing. I mean, the yeah. right thing would be localism. You know, the right thing would be what we were arguing for, you know, back in the early rave movement in the late 80s and early 90s, yes. protesting against the WTO and wanting to restore local economic activity and peer-to-peer and trade mm. and favors and doing things for each other. You know, instead of that, we seem to be reverting to this nationalist Thing, you know, and national economies and all, which I don't think will end up doing much better than the global economy did. No, and that's it's isolationist as well, isn't it? Yeah. It's isolationist rather. It's not about, oh, why don't you connect with the people in your neighborhood? It's not about that. It's mm. like, it's no, it's about, no, let's build a wall between us and Mexico or us and Europe. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's about uh, creating boundary conditions. And that's... Um, that's not the way to think about it. It's like if you want to connect with your family, do you build a wall around your house or do you encourage your kids to, you know, play with you? You know, <laughs> it's like <laughs> it, it feels recent to me, but uh, it's not really that recent, is it? It's probably it's probably the last two decades. It's been moving all the time towards what we've seen with Trump and Brexit. Do you do you fear for you know, people, children, I guess, just growing up in this atmosphere. What do you think it be? It's like for for the for younger generations to not know what we know, because perhaps, well, I feel like I'm on the cusp of two very very different worlds. Well, I mean, I I fear for them less than I'm grateful for what we got. Yeah. You know, what what they're going to live through is what most human beings have lived through since there's been human beings. Mm. You know, your grandparents or parents even, you know, certainly your grandparents were, you know, sitting in the basements of London while, you know, getting bombed by Hitler. You know, my grandparents were, you know, one set was running from the Cossacks and the Tsar in 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 Western Russia and the other half was, you know, escaping concentration camps in world yes. war II. Uh, so, you know, we had a, a, a brief respite sort of from the end of world war two to the, uh, you know, end of the first Gulf war, I guess, you know, those of us in, in these places where the biggest wars that you knew of were the Falklands and that I knew yeah, of was yeah. Grenada, you know, <laughs> but, but this is, this, if anything, this is more normal, you know, with, yes, there's plagues, yes, there's wars, yes, there's economic downturns. Um, the only difference is we have, uh, uh, we got so complacent about being consumers that we let the, the communal 
fabric of our society erode. So now that we're moving into harder times, we don't have the kind of the social mechanisms to turn to one another for mutual aid. Instead, we're, you know, stockpiling toilet paper um, and, and not, you know, and <laughs> yeah. social distancing. Yeah. Um, I mean, I always, I, I've always looked up uh, to the 60s um, my mother was a a, a a young woman in the 60s and was you know um, sort of an, involved in a pop culture of, of, of change real social change uh, so I've grown up with that slight kind of envy um, of, of, of finding it harder to, to see how we might engineer something now that colorful or that creative and that progressive and it's not to say the individuals don't exist, because there's lots of individuals, and you are one of them, um, who are making um, great changes. Uh, but it's, but it, it, is it, it? It doesn't feel like it's reaching everybody. You know, in the '60s, it just took everybody over. It didn't matter kind of what class you were part of. It, it, it seemed to affect everyone. And indeed, there were a lot of people who had not been afforded opportunity. Um, in education that was suddenly getting opportunities in in theater you know um, people from working class backgrounds all those amazing changes and now it seems much more divided like and a lot of intellectual learned people are talking to each other and trying to affect change but it's somehow not reaching everybody that would really benefit do you agree yeah and i think partly it's because the um the sort of the whole modality of revolutionary change um, is divisive, you know, and it feels very 20th century to me, you know, all of the isms and, mm. you know, it, it was great for, say, the civil rights movement to have a hero like Martin Luther King and we'll rally behind him yeah. and march with our eyes on the prize and an ends justifies the means journey to liberation yeah. or equality. And that's not what we need now. It's not another movement and not another uh, uh, figure, if you will, you know, not another image on the TV set to, to believe in and march for, but, something something very different something i mean I, I use a big word like renaissance to describe it but sure. really all i mean is a, a retrieval of a retrieval of values and something that's scaled much more um locally much more scaled to the level of our bodies than the level of our markets yes and it and it is to do with um the sort of the local uh approach to stuff isn't it there's it's it's not about looking to one great leader who will lead us out of no uh, i mean think about it this way you know in, in in terms of music say yeah you know there's this you might be following a band like you're from a place like brighton or manchester and there's a local band and you really like them and you're really excited as they move up and they can start to play at sort of larger venues where you are maybe they toured around the the country a bit and came back and then you welcome them back to the you know 500 to 800 person venue now it's like wow yeah but then when they get to the next level you kind of eh, now they're a big international sensation and maybe you can get to see them at a friggin 
arena or stadium and maybe, you know, and you try to make sure that other people in the arena know, well, I'm really from Manchester and I saw them in a 12 person <laughs> club originally. Yeah. And I used to know the guy, well, not this drummer, but the drummer before this drummer was like a good friend of my girlfriend. And, yeah. and that is and very 20th you, century. <laughs> yeah. But you were, you know what I mean? But you kind of resent them. And now I'm thinking, you know, on a certain level, if we can pull it off, could you imagine getting to have local bands that get to stay local bands that mm. actually are your band and are your friends? You know, my, my daughter said something to me after we went, we saw um, Les Miserables yeah. on Broadway, this Broadway revival of Les Mis. And this was after she had seen it done by the kids in our high school. You know, she's in like elementary school at the time. And we got back from, we were coming back from Les Mis on Broadway. And she's like, gosh, you know, I like the one that we did so much better. And I was like, well, why? And she said, well, because I knew who the people were. Uh -huh. So it's yeah. so much more interesting to see someone you know yeah. playing this part so that you can think about the difference between the part and who they are. Absolutely. When I'm watching it on Broadway, I have no way of knowing who they really are. So I don't know, I don't know what, what, they're acting, you know, and it was like, wow, isn't that interesting? So it's like you, the, the, the longing, and I'm hoping this is a sensibility that people of her generation share, yeah. that there's this longing for how do we do it? I want to see, in other words, I don't want to see an anonymous person in a play or a movie. How I want to see how someone, old someone I know. How old, yeah, how old was she when she said that? Oh, then? Oh, I don't know, 11 maybe? Wow. I mean, I think yeah. out of the mouth of babes because there's there's an element of, um, I don't know, the the rock star, which I think is it's just that's over. Um, the icon in general, an icon, I think is, is a very uh, last century idea. Um, yeah. And what you're just talking about that your daughter said, it, 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 it reminds me a bit of how I accidentally, I mean, I grew up wanting to be a rock star and I did the things that were would be associated with that at a very young age with a record company and all that stuff. And then and then it was all gone within five minutes. You know? <laughs> and and I carried on making music and it was only probably five or six years ago I realised I'm not trying to do that anymore. I'm finding out that um, doing what I'm doing with lots and lots of different people to collaborate and, and share the ideas with and, and, and really share it, like this is ours, it's not me anymore. You know? <laughs> that kind of thing is, is what I love doing now. And, it's, and, 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 I, and I can sort of see that reflected online a little bit where, whereby, you know, with, with streaming platforms like Spotify all the rest of it. We we have a lot of problems with those as artists because we don't know how to make money. But it is leveling out all the artists a little bit. It's leveling well, them out. I don't know if it's leveling or not. I mean, you know, the 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 long tail is not working. It's a very there's a very short. <laughs> Well, it's still working sure. for the corporations. Yeah, uh, there you go. But, but, but the and corporations... It's for three, yeah. And Taylor Swift and, and three other people, uh, and then 10 million who, make, yeah. like, who sell one record but, each. But they're all in, they're in business together, and then the other 95% of us are not in business together, but perhaps we could be. <laughs> yeah. And it's so funny when you were talking, I flashed back on... I just remember when I was a little kid, yeah. you know, we used to listen to... Uh, like WABC, it was, you know, like a top 40 yeah. station in the 60s. And um, when something would come on, I, I, 
I mean, this is when I must have been four or five, six years old. I thought that the bands went like to the radio station and played the song. Played all the songs. <laughs> and then it's like, if you like, we'd listen to a song like Aquarius was a big hit, The Fifth Dimension yeah, did Aquarius. Yeah. And we'd listen to it on there. And then my dad might, you know, driving in the car, he might change the radio dial to another station and there would be Aquarius. And I would think, wow, they must have just packed up all their stuff into a van <laughs> and zoomed over to the other radio station. Yeah. Got it. How do they get it out so fast? Or do they have like instruments set up and ready and they just play them? And I remember trying to work that out in my head, not realizing <laughs> that they're just playing records in there. That's a great, that's a great uh, little peek into your imagination there, Douglas. I love that. Um, something, uh, I think when I first found out about your work, um, uh, it, there was an excitement I had in the same way that I had about music because it's not music it's information that you're sharing a lot of um but but passionately well it is uh, and it's not you know it's stealth you know books most books could be information like a dictionary or or a thesaurus but I really see my books more as as sigils as mm. programs you know that you if you i know a few other of, people who'd agree that they're like sigils yeah uh, but they're <laughs> meant like that meant to be you know so that you download i mean a book like team human is meant to to restore you know your your uh, uh, your social immune system you know your 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 cognition is and optimism to, as well yeah and optimism i mean it's meant as a dose in in a in, in, you know I mean, figuratively, but but intentionally, it's mm. meant to dose you with a way of thinking. You're you're downloading a program into yeah. your you know mental hardware to hopefully uh, deliver some resilience and give you uh, uh, some shielding from you know the the intentional chaos being foisted mm. on you. I think more than anything, um, in certainly in Team Human, um, that I. I, that made me not want to stop listening and um, I did the audio book um, mm. and uh, it, it would be it would be truth I just found there's a lot of truth in it in a way that we all find hard to find now um, there's a sense of you love theatre you said you know theatre is a is a really important part of your life right mm. um, and that's you know it's one of the greatest art forms in the history of the planet to be able to platform truth uh, like no other um but now people you know on social media on twitter facebook or whatever um you know there's a lot more people using that than than are going to theaters um do you th do you think you know like the band is going to get back together again is truth going to make a comeback um truth will always makes a comeback because it's true you know um and I mean, the beautiful thing about economy—I mean, in context of the of the confusion that people have now, where they don't know what to believe, so they just shut down sometimes. Right, but they shut down from you know from these these figures on the screen. You know, when mm. they realize none of these people are telling the truth. You know, I I I mean, I don't know. Maybe BBC. Maybe they're still 
being normal or or I real think or something. There's a lot of conflict over uh, what, yeah, the B- whether or not the BBC. Are, I think it's too large yeah. an organisation to, to to generalise. Actually, some people right. say, "Oh, we don't like the BBC." And there's some departments of the BBC which are absolutely incredible and and deliver beautiful work and beautiful information. They're still doing what they've always done, and then there's other parts of it which are seem to be owned by other corporations again other corporations i think right because i mean i've been trying to watch the news in the u.s and the the odd thing is that the kind of more progressive or lefty stations that i was watching like uh you know cnn yeah. or msnbc or you know a lot of people would call them centrist um is is i i i could see what they were doing when they were trying to say uh, uh, prevent Bernie Sanders from winning the Democratic yeah. uh, primaries, you know the, the the misinformation and the the negative framing of things, and the problem is it 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 lowered their credibility mm. for me. Or I would see the way they would take five seconds out of a Donald Trump speech and mischaracterize it in order to say, oh, Trump is comparing himself to Jesus Christ. <laughs> you know, there was this one moment where he was talking about Middle East peace and he said, oh, well, you know, no one else has done it. So I guess I'm the chosen one here. Yeah. Um, and, you know, yeah, maybe it wasn't the best use of words, but they, they frame it they framed it for like two days Trump has declared himself the Messiah. the Messiah Trump says God has chosen him to lead and it's like he didn't he didn't do that you're mischaracterizing it so now when they talk about um coronavirus and what it is and what it's not and what Trump's saying and what's not true I don't have a sense of trust yeah in them and that's really dangerous when you can no longer trust your news media and it's not just because trump said you know the the journalists are the enemies of the people it's because they've undermined their own credibility by uh uh, uh reaching for the most sensationalist yeah. we, if if untrue things they could say and that is being driven again by money money uh <laughs> success recognition all these qualities which are Something that are, are completely the opposite to the local kind of feel that you celebrate, I suppose, in in, in your writing. There's people well, just right. coming I mean, together you... with each other in real time, uh, in front of each other. Yeah, and that that activates all sorts of mechanisms that are have have been dormant. Mm. You know, that don't get activated watching TV or tweeting with people. You know, quite the opposite. Twitter and and Instagram and these platforms have been consciously designed to prevent those mechanisms from activating. Yeah. That's what they're for, to prevent that. That's what the captology department at Stanford University does that's what they're being taught yeah it's not this is not conspiracy theory this is this is what they've learned this is the actual it's facts spoken yeah. written factual intent yeah. of these platforms and then we wonder you know why we're all feeling this way i, re- I remember about uh, maybe it's two and a half years ago now um i can't remember maybe two years when the cambridge analytica uh, scandal broke. It was Chris Wiley and Carol Cavallada, um, mm-hmm. which I'm sure you know about. And it was really clear to me um, when they talked about it that, you know, in the old days, a politician would stand up like on a pedestal 
in in the in the in the local square or whatever and say stuff to people to try to get their vote and you'd all be watching that person at the same time and make your decision on where you whether or not you're going to give them their vote uh, and then they described it how it how it works on Facebook and it's it's basically one politician managing to duplicate themselves into millions of different people who can each individually whisper into a different person's ear something slightly different so that they're appealing to their personal tastes and um, prejudice and, and everything else. It's this really insane way of getting a vote or getting a Brexit or getting a Trump. Um, and and yet, I remember saying it <laughs> on social media a couple of years ago, and you could just see nobody, nobody just really thought of anything about it. It was just like, yeah, whatever, whatever, Tim, you know. And I just sort of sat back and watched all these things happen that people, I even remember voting, I voted Remain. Um, I grew up um, living all over Europe, and I, I just, uh, you know, I, I, I liked the idea of staying in Europe. And... Um, and everybody just thought that's never going to happen. We're we're not going to be leaving Europe, and and it did. And I think it is to do with data management, isn't it? Those kind of decisions. Yeah, it's partly to do with data management, and partly to do with the fact that people felt numb. That people are aware that these systems are working against them, and this sense of this loss of control. I feel like the the same impulse to vote for Trump or to vote for you know Brexit is part of what was driving us in the WTO protests of the 1990s this sense that yeah. there's a global economy that's working against us and people making choices against our best interests without our democratic participation and it's a sort of a sense of revolt of like well how do we how do we fight back how do we withdraw mm. from this awful thing i mean and no it's not the most uh, uh, these aren't the most intelligent ways to restore a sense of local autonomy, but um, I understand the impulse, and the impulse is not is not wrong. I mean, we started this show uh, talking about music, and um, so it's nice to come back to it. You know, we all know that um, music affects us, and we don't necessarily have to know why. But in in terms of that great period the 60s and the 70s i think uh for me are, are so important and with poets like dylan and lennon and Joni mitchell um leonard cohen uh traveling with music as a vehicle and now of course it's very different um but i still i still feel that it's doing something what is music doing now do you yeah, think i mean i think music does different things at different times it's it 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 does so many um terrific things i think right now what music's doing is helping us recalibrate you know our digital experiences if after you've been on you know you go on your computer or your phone and go on twitter for 20 minutes and you will be necessarily decalibrated right you'll be made uneasy your mm. your nervous system becomes decalibrated off balance mm. and you can recalibrate your nervous system by looking into somebody's eyes and just breathing a few breaths by uh, spooning with somebody or making love yeah. or playing ball with a child or listening to music because your body, that's the way your body learned to calibrate. You'd stand in the woods and your body and ears would listen mm. 
to the sounds and the wind and the birds and the creaking of the trees. And that's how your, your, your system, your organism orients that's how we to the world around you. For sound, isn't and it? any great music, I mean, we listen to different kinds because our bodies are tuned differently. But when you listen to music, especially if it's music that you recognize, mm. you can you can recalibrate your system the same way you you retune a piece of technology to a to a, a you know to a test pattern. Yeah, it's it's funny you skipped past that very quickly, um, but I I I want to just uh, paraphrase you. So we listen to different music because we're tuned differently. I think that's really beautiful. You, you meant with with a lot of us. You meant that a lot of us have different tastes in music because our bodies are literally tuned differently. Is that what you meant? Yeah, and what you what did your mommy play for you when you were a mm-hmm. baby? You know, yeah. what were the sounds? How did it? I mean, my mom was playing Chubby Checker, the twist, and uh, uh, and and uh, I want to hold your hand, and uh, so those are the 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 sounds. I mean, <laughs> I'm just funny a, you say that. I remember now the first time I kicked as a baby in my mother's stomach was at a, a, a showing uh, in the theater of the Rocky Horror Picture Show. <laughs> Oh my god! There I don't know you what go. that you were says. doing. The t- you were doing the time warp in there. Yeah. <laughs> I think I still am. <laughs> oh, um, Douglas, thank you so much uh, for this. Um, uh, I, it's a, it, it's great. It's like listening to you, but I can I can cheekily ask you questions as you go. Um, I, I, I wish you luck with um, the rest of your work, and I hope we get to see each other in person at some point uh it's been a real no we'll see if we if people are traveling across the atlantic again yeah um let's hope so because we i'm not going to take a ship i'll tell you that much no um <laughs> no nobody wants to be trapped in one of those um but yeah really appreciate it and thank um, you and i appreciate yeah. you i mean gosh thanks for for continuing to make music against all odds <laughs> um you know because we need it now more than ever uh, i think so douglas Rushkoff, you have been super connected thank you thank you